episode 68 of Talking Toro. And despite the fact that uh, Mr. Vagnatti still has not signed anybody at 17.38 UK time on Wednesday, the 24th of January, we are back with a podcast because we are committed to good content. Uh, Rob, before we start, Torino keep releasing these Spotify playlists from the players. Who have you been listening to? Have you been vibing to Drake with Lazzaro? If you're a bit more of an Ed Sheeran man, Carol Linetti, yeah, or I mean, Nikola Vlasic's <laughs> Croatian singer-songwriters. They're doing it for me, I think. I, I think um, I I did have, I think we might have mentioned this previously, I had a sneaking suspicion that these weren't actually songs picked for, but picked by the players until uh, Ricardo Rodriguez I think had a number of like sort of Spanish language uh, songs. Um, so yeah, maybe that, maybe, maybe they are picking them, but uh, yeah, it just seems like a very strange like is their social media guy just like asking them in the morning what what ten what are the ten songs that you like to listen to or I don't understand the admin on this whole process but yeah they're quite entertaining just to see sort of some unlikely unlikely it's I'm going for I'm going for Lanetti with his uh, Lewis Capaldi and his his Ed Sheeran's I think uh, Samuel Rich's choice is as safe as his passing <laughs> that's all I would say that's all I would say Rob so we do have we put a poll out last week. And the people have spoken, and uh, we go. I guess we go four choices, and I think the first half we're going to cover the other. So if you a chance, we don't often have a bit of really, really a bit of free time uh, outside of matches, just to just just to talk crap about different subjects. Um, but on the other ones, the UEFA Cup run ninety one ninety two narrowly beat uh, the Ace Ventura years. Um, very narrowly beat. In fact, so narrow, Rob, that if you'd actually bothered to vote, <laughs> um, I think we might be talking about Ventura's Toro and, no, and your fa- your favourite subject. No, no fixes here, mate. This is a this is a, a a podcast to be respected that holds a lot of integrity. Okay. Well, I'm reading um, Herbie Sykes's excellent book on Juve, which actually is far from being a book just on Juve. And uh, yeah, there's quite a few stories of fixes in there, which is. <laughs> We'll maybe get Herbie back uh, this season at some point to talk about talk about that book. Um, but yeah, let's um, let's dive straight in. Um, I guess before we we look at a few of the questions we had, Calcio Mercato, Rob. Um, there's a lot of noise. Uh, there's a there's a lot of smoke, but maybe not much fire. I don't know. But there's there's a sense that. Uh, a few dominoes will fall in the final few days. Um, I find a lot of Toro Twitter getting very overexcited about players they've never seen. Um, and yeah, there two things quite have annoyed me over the over the last week. One was um, suddenly Cairo was front and center of of doing negotiations, um, at at, le- at least being. Um, linked as leading negotiations, which I just find strange. I often find that we can only make signings when Cairo's free to present the player. And the second thing was uh, Van Yatti posting over the weekend um, a picture from his um, KLM flight, from presumably going from Turin to Amsterdam. It just felt a bit, felt quite tin pot to me. It felt like, oh, Cairo's let him out for the weekend. Um, where could he fly to? Where could he fly to from Turin? Um and that started a load of rumours about Ajax players. Um, I'd just like to see a, a few less, a few fewer photos and a few more facts, please. A few, but 
it's at least yeah. it's, not, it's at least he's uh, getting a different mode of transport because he's just been a rail pass to Ferrara to, to pick up players from Spell previously. But yeah, at least wow. he's he's vent, venturing a little bit outside his comfort zone. All right. Well, let's talk about the facts. Uh, there's one definitive thing happened. Dembasek, he of 30 plus appearances, no assists, no goals, one hair transplant. I think one, one lamppost written off in the centre of Turin. And we won't talk about other stuff. And I don't think he, I. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you finish. Sorry. He uh, he was due to go to Cremonese. Uh, that fell through. Then looked like he was going to Turkey, which had been very useful for monitoring his hair transplant. And he has since signed for Frosinone, who basically are a bit of a, um, I don't know. Uh, Does he play like, teams, just, yeah, don't players? A place where teams in Turin send their <laughs> young players. So sex gone to Frosinone, I guess, from a footballing point of view it'd be interesting to see how he does having massively flattered to deceive in his what 18 months or so at Toro so and I did, is the only, yeah and I didn't realize I mean I I mean I, I think Sek was at Toro for a lot longer than 18 months I think um I just double check but I didn't realize how expensive he was um yeah, I think no. Uh, yeah, no. So yeah, he signed in January twenty twenty two. So sorry, sorry, nearly two years. Um, yeah, I think he came came in the Richie uh, Richie window. But I didn't realise that we paid five million euros for him. Um, which, if you think, if you put that in sort of context of of Torino, don't really spend much money. I mean, that's probably around the same amount that Josh Dog's just gone to Sassuolo for. Um, I just yeah. Well, it, 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 Vagnetti, I think even if he manages to pull two signings or three signings out of the out of the bag in the closing days of the window, I think sex one he probably needs to still be held quite accountable for. Yeah, when you say two or three signings out of the bag, it just feels like it's gonna it, we've got to have a departure to have an arrival. So uh, basically, I think there's three deals being lined up: David Zima to a second division club in. Germany, by the look of it, maybe Hamburg, which is pretty, pretty big um, and club in itself. Just, just to cut in there, the two teams that he's linked with are Hertha Berlin and Hamburg, who I'm, I'll be off to, to see next week as I'm oh. heading up, over to Berlin. So yeah, I might, I might be there on hand to watch David Zima score on his uh, on his Hamburg or Hertha Berlin debut. Yeah, well, fair play. It, look, it, it looks like Lovato might come in from Salernitana, a player that Juric um, launched a little bit at Verona. Uh, I saw someone say on Twitter earlier, it would be the transfer, the, the transfer dealing that has least minimal impact of all time. Um, I'm not sure if I'm translating it that well, but yeah, just kind of a bit like for like Zima, I feel a bit bad for, I think he's looked quite a good player sometimes, uh, but there's suspicions about his knee injury. Um, and over the last year, he's, not really been available and it just seems to have fallen right off um Juric's radar so if you bring in a player in anywhere that Juric has got more confidence in then in that sense it's an upgrade but it feels to me like a waste a bit of a waste of Vagnetti's time to be in this sort of deal when we've got other priorities yeah no and no, I agree I think if you yeah if you're really looking at it you've got um sort of Tamese is probably even further ahead of the pecking order than, than Zima. Even coming off the bench, Sazanov is, is is sort of getting some game time. So yeah, effectively the the sixth choice centre back 
it is that's not really where we should be sort of dedicating any amount of time to. Yeah, there has been talk of uh, Pirola at Salernitana, who's the under twenty one captain, I think, uh, being lined up as well. I don't know if there's slight bit of confusion and um, rumours, but maybe he could be someone who comes in to replace Bongiorno in the summer. Um, then the next link, we really need a left back. We're going to talk a bit about left backs in a minute, uh, the wider left back issue, because uh, one of our listeners did uh, raise it as a topic. Um, this seems to be the situation, as far as I'm concerned. Vagnati messed up in the summer by not bringing in a proper left back. He brought in Brandon Soppy, who's not a left back, has barely played. I worried about Brandon Soppy when we the match you and I went to, Torino Atalanta, when he was warming up in the uh, in trainers and not in uh, football boots. Um, and yeah, it, it just seems another player that is not going to get minutes, And but we can't do anything until we get rid of Brandon Soppy. For me, it's, yeah, I mean, he's he's a player who's only on loan anyway. Just pay, like, sometimes you've just got to bite the bullet, pay, pay, pay back the loan to Atalanta or whatever and let them deal with it. But um Josh Doig has gone to Sassuolo, which for me is a little bit disappointing because I personally think a British player is always going to have a pretty good resale value. And I think he may have ticked some boxes. And again, Juric didn't seem to rate him, but is Juric going to be at Torino next season? I don't know. Anyway, um, and then there's a few players linked. I'll let you talk about them. Angelino, um, who a lot of Toro fans are getting very excited about. I once saw him play from Man City against Vale in the Cup, I think. And I, I had this impression he played a lot more for Man City than he actually had. He barely played for them and he's barely lasted more than a year at any club he's ever played for, which I'm not sure is a great side. That said, he is a very proactive attacking left-sided player. Uh, Juric seems to want Borden Sosa, the Croatian left-back from Ajax. Can't see that happening. And then we've been linked with a few players who I don't really know, to be honest, from from Antwerp and various other places. Um, yeah, we'll come on to it in a minute. This club is incapable of signing a left back. Yeah, I think, I think the 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 link going back to Vanetti's trip to Amsterdam. I think a lot of the talk was uh, that that was sort of broke the same day as the the rumours about Angelino. But then there was talk about Owen Vindal, who's online at Antwerp from. Ajax, and then potentially whether Borna Sosa was was discussed in that in that sort of meeting, but Sosa only signed for Ajax, I think, from Stuttgart in the summer. Ajax are having potentially one of their worst uh, seasons in their history. Um, so getting a player who's either in their first team or can't get into their first team, I'm not sure on the on how wise that might be. Sosa is a, he's a player who I think would would make a lot of sense, but like you say with Juric. Is, is signing a player who he wants when he there's no sort of guarantee that he's going to be here post uh, post June or July. Um, is that the the smartest move? I'm not so sure, but it at least at least we're, we we've asked for a left back and at least they're looking in that direction. I think the likely it is whatever happens, it's going to be a late a late move in the window. A loan soppy moves on loan to somebody else, and then we free up his wages and we get a loan. Um, of another player, it's not going to be something. Um, the, the, I think the frustration and, and the talk that obviously Roma have now come in for Angelino is that Torre do a lot of talking and, and not a lot of action. If you if you're interested in a player and you know that they're available, just go in, sneak in, and, and, and get it done. 
four other teams are maybe aware of that availability coming out and and basically declaring that you're going to burgle somebody's house to to use an analogy doesn't make it very surprising when that house is burgled. So I think um, yeah, I think there's there's something which which Tori need to to do a lot of their transfer work more in the background rather than sort of posting flight details on Instagram. Yeah, I mean the other thing, Amsterdam is a massive hub for flights, so he could have well have just been going to Amsterdam to go somewhere else. So, or just um, or just like fancy the holiday. Yeah, well, ju- ju- judging by the activity so far, it may as well have just been a holiday. Um, what's going on in attack? I find quite confusing because we've said before, while well, Sex gone, uh, Radonjic and Karamo, uh, Radonjic for different reasons. Radonjic has. Um, has became more trouble than he was worth. Also wants first-team football ahead of the Euros. Karama, for me, it's a bit inexplicable. Juric doesn't seem to think he can play in the front two. I think he proved last season in a bit of a hot streak he could. Um, but we seem to be going down this avenue where we're going to have Zapata, Sanabria. I, you can't rule out Pietro Pellegrini leaving, but the the one forward we've been linked in is, is Rafa Mirda, Backup forward from Seville, who's um, one ninety, I think a meter ninety three tall. Um, so, yeah, another another big forward. Um, I hadn't realised he'd had two fairly short spells in the Premier League without scoring as well. I think, yeah, I think um, they were both, they were both in it. It was when he was in the Championship because I was wondering how this okay, player, had, right, yeah. yeah, this this player hit. So, yeah, played for Wolves and and played had two appearances at Wolves. In the championship and eleven appearances for Nottingham Forest without scoring. Um, I did wonder how this player, like who played in England, I had sort of no recollection of him playing there. Uh, sort of recognised the name slightly, but yeah, w- wouldn't be able to say that I'd seen him play. Um, but if it, it, I think it would be very very difficult to offer less to a team than Pietro Pellegrini does. Um, so. By that logic, but, I'm, I'm all for this signing. But would a team ever have had four forwards, four less subtle forwards than Toro might have? I don't know. It, 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 would, make, it, it would make Tony Sabri look like Usain Bolt. <laughs> well, just yeah. I mean, it would, it would, it would make him look like Roberto Baggio, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I mean, in the two Euro January windows, we bought in Richie and Illich for quite big money. Um, I. As the days tick by, it just gets it's going to get harder and harder to to kind of get a number of deals over the line at the same time. Um, I think the Lovato Zima one is, if it happens or doesn't happen, doesn't really matter. Um, but I'd be very, yeah very interested to see what what else happens. I mean, I don't think we'll talk a bit about Cagliari, but I don't think we're going to be heading to Sardinia with any new players. Um, just one little anecdote. What were your thoughts on Josep Brekolo, who left Torino because he was Champions League quality, uh, going back to playing the Croatian League? I mean, the winner of the Croatian League do qualify for the Champions League. So, technically, he's, he's got what he wanted. It's uh, but I think they, given it, I believe, Hadjik Split, who uh, is the team of uh, Nikola Vlasic and um, Ivan Juric, I think. They are the team that that Tari fans might be cheering cheering on now, especially now that Brekalo has has moved there. Well, moved to has moved to Dinamo Zagreb, their rivals, and yeah, they're uh, Dinamo Zagreb are seven points away from Hadjik at the top of the league, uh, although they do have a game in hand. So yeah, I believe 
if you look in the diary, the Croatian um, translation for the word panic buy, there's a photo of, of Josip Brekalo online. There you go. Um, all right, we had a couple of other other things we would like to cover. One, uh, someone called Pietro Nato, he's a very intelligent listener, uh, asked if anyone knew where Simone Zaza was. And um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit little bit obsessed where where Simone has gone. So let's just give you a bit a bit of backstory. Simone Zaza has not had a professional football contract since leaving Torre at the age of thirty in I guess June 2022. Uh, I went back and looked at Zaza's last season at Toro. Um, he played less less than ninety minutes across the entire season under Urich. So he made oh. uh he made ten appearances. There was a block, uh obviously when mid season there's a block uh where he came off the bench for a minute for a few minutes here and there. He disappeared towards the end of the season. He like his last game I think was March twenty twenty two. Um his last ninety minutes. Do you remember that game against Benevento at the end of the uh twenty twenty one season where we stayed yeah. up? Oh, yeah, the one one draw. One one draw, and his last goal was when we beat Roma three one in April twenty twenty one. So Zaza effectively didn't he, he wasn't a footballer for his last season <laughs> at, at Toro. So it's two and a half seasons now. Um, but as I said, only thirty. Um, I don't know if the injury. I, there were a lot of injury issues in that in uh, last season at Toro. Um, as far as I can tell, if you want to go and find Simone, you've got to go to Metaponto Beach in Matera. That seems to be back at home and on the beach is is all I can tell. I think he became a father. Uh, his I think it might be his wife was a is a Brazilian model. Um, There's talk last season of Bari. I'm going to Bari in the January transfer window. I saw some talk of Salernitana, but I don't know. I actually think. It's pretty cool in this day and age just to disappear like that. I've got, got a bit, I've got a bit of newfound respect for Simone. And I, to be honest, I think he's a Torino player. If I was to, you know, if I was to have to, uh, uh, in a film, pretend to be a Toro player, <laughs> I'd just stick a little mole on my face and uh, probably get away with it. So, uh, you know, blaze a few penalties over the bar. And, so, uh, how are we to know that this is actually Peter Ball and not Simone Zaza on this podcast? Well, I could just, you know, this could be, you know, this, yeah, this could be. I'm just, I'm just feeding you something all along. I've been Simone Zaza, but yeah, I just think, you know, just it's my own curiosity. But fair play, fair play, Simone. You've in this day and age to uh, maybe, yeah, has he is he retired? We don't know. Um, it's interesting. Has he come back? Has he just reinvented himself somewhere else? I don't know. Um, Maybe, yeah, maybe he's just unofficially retired. He didn't want to. I don't feel you share my passion for this subject, Robert. I I, I, I haven't probably dedicated as much time to every day as thinking about what's happened to Simone Zaza. I quite liked uh, Zaza. I think some of the, uh, and we would have got relegated without him in in, um, sort of the Mazzari, in the, sorry, the um, Giampaolo. Uh, Nicola, Nicola season we definitely would have got re- relegated without him the 2-0 the down at home to Sassuolo coming back to win 3-2 um, I think scored twice in that game he scored two goals in Nicola's first game as well 
absolutely undoubtedly without those goals we would have we would have gone down so yeah i think tarif anderson may be a bit of a, a, a figure of fun at sometimes but yeah I, I actually totally forgot that he was he was still at the club in Europe's first season and how sort of little impact he made um I seem to think. Did I think he, he was. Did, yeah. he, did he score against? Did he even score in that season? No, his last goal was the road. Yeah, yeah, of course. Goal, yeah. So I think no, but he was linked with. I think Palmer and Sampdoria was linked with that season. There was this one summer, maybe the summer before, he was linked with Inter as a like a backup, backup forward. I, I know. There, um, I know there was a link to Hammerby. Um, a very sort of, and that was maybe a, a year, eighteen months ago. So yeah, very. Very strange sort of links going going around, and and like you say, maybe potentially just he's had enough of football. He, if you're married to a Brazilian model, there's probably better things he could be doing. Well, on that note, um, when he resigns <laughs> next week, I'll, I'll look a bit thick, won't I? But won't be the first time. All right, left backs. Um, so I've done a little thing here: left backs under Cairo because it is a complete blind spot for every director of football. In fact, the most successful director of football, Gianluca Petracchi, as very quickly quickly mentioned, he did his like, uh, oh, I'm still here interview uh, that he does every six months a few days ago. And every time he does an interview, he always talks about his time at Toro and finds a player, usually the most topical player in the news and claims he could have signed him for Toro. So I guess it was a day after Lautaro won the Italian Super Cup for Inter. Petracchi claimed that... uh, he had him lined up for Toro and Cairo wouldn't, wouldn't pay the extra cash. Um, and then some quite interesting anecdotes on Churchy and uh, Andy Mobile as well. But yeah. Um, I, I did like I did like that in the same breath of saying um, La Tarola Martinez, he also was still taking credit for, for Lianco. Um So maybe, maybe sort of... What, well, Lianco maybe was, he was telling the truth. Lanko, we made a profit for him and he sent yeah, him what, to England. Must have been a very stupid club he bought in. He got Southampton relegated. So he tried to get Toro relegated, um, but was more successful in England. But <laughs> all right, I've I've got the list of like left backs in the Cairo. And all I want you to say is um yes for a success, no for a failure, and mm for someone a bit in the middle. Okay. All right. Yeah. Jacopo Balestri. Yes. Yeah, I would say in the Serie B season, yes. In the first Serie A season, we were a bit too loyal to him. Uh, as an anecdote, we did. Do you remember who we who we signed in our first season back as kind of backup to Balestri? I uh, think it might it may be on the list that you've you've provided me. So I'll pretend that I haven't got that list. Is it Francesco Coco by any chance? It is. It is a Toro villain, Francesco Coco. All right, the next season it was Toropedia's Salvatore Lanna. Uh, yeah, no. All right, he was replaced by for two seasons by Matteo Rubin. Uh, mm. no, Rubin for me could have been a really irrational yeah, I, I thought he could have been a good player, but very physical left back. I think may have been a better left-sided centre-back. Uh, Ruben left, then we had Agostino Garofalo. No. No. Uh, Ventura's first left-back was Alessandro Parisi. Mm. Okay. I love not the, not the worst on this list. Can you make that noise again, please? Uh, mm. 
Uh, and then Ventura's first era season was Salvatore Maziello. Dirty dressing cheat. Oh, well, match fixing cheat. No, that's Andrea. That's the other Maziello. Oh, sorry. So, so, well, yeah, I think they're both. I think they both uh, were, were involved. Yeah, yeah, much, yeah, let me double check that before I've. I don't. I don't well, I, think, I think everyone at Bari was under some kind <laughs> of investigation, weren't they? But no, it's the other. It's the horrid Andrea Maziello who. I don't know how I had a career in football after what he did. But... Oh, he's the, think... he's, he's the plate thrower. Salvatore Maziello. He's the plate thrower. He was involved in a plate throwing incident at Bari Team Dinner. Wikipedia uh, mentions this as if that's just like. <laughs> There's no like context as if that's just normal. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, he, Maziello. He, he signed from Toro. He signed for Toro because he was. Um, Contract at Bari was terminated for throwing a plate at another player. There we go. Maziello uh, has done since done a absolute two footed interview on Ventura um, about his time at Toro. Um, so because Mazzie- he, he he was under um, Ventura at Bari, so yeah, so was disliked him, yeah, yeah. He disliked him that much. Why did he sign for him again? Well, he said Ventura never spoke to him at Toro, so it was. Uh, and then um, the next scene... At, at, the dining, of... at the dining table with plates around, you couldn't blame him, could you? Exactly, but... Uh, at the next season, I've kind of got Matteo Dami in there because he was a bit of a job in left-back um, for a while. I don't yeah, think, I think you know it. Pro, yeah. Uh, but, well, no, because Dami would be a yes. Um, okay. But also, I would also... Um, yeah, in terms of part-time... Part-time left-backs, I think you can probably uh, add Danilo D'Ambrosio in the previous season. Yeah, so I got D'Ambrosio. And then for Damian, for that season, I've got uh, Pasquale, who came in for half a season. Yeah, that's, um, a, that's a not, nice. Not, yeah. And then we had a couple of seasons of Christian Molinaro. Massive yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's just, it's it's relative to the rest of the list, you massive <laughs> yes. Uh, he was replaced for one season by Antonio Barreca, who looked like the next big thing. But yeah. between a, cra- a crap agent and and probably a yeah, not head on his shoulders, we say. Uh, I'll let you give a uh, what could have been. Yeah. Then we had right-footed. Uh, <laughs> Is he right-footed? Nobody will ever uh, know. Well, we had Christian Ansaldi for a number of seasons, but it was a massive yes. Uh, but then I'll list some of the backups. So we've had Bareka, Olorina has done a job there. Diego Laxalt, who was terrible. Uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, uh, Mergin Voivodo, all understudies to him. And then probably the worst of all for me, Nicola Muru, who's now <laughs> captain of Sampdoria. Like, he keeps ending up back at Sampdoria. No wonder they are where they are. Muru was terrible. Um, and then subsequently, we had a season where Ricardo Rodriguez was there. Yeah, that... that's, that's that's a definite no because that first season under Rodriguez. Because uh... yeah, that would that would have been twenty one twenty two would have been Juric's first season. So yeah, I think there's a period both is under Gianpaolo. And yeah, and jo- yeah, Gianpaolo. Yeah. I think the fact that Ricardo Rodriguez probably played less than ten games as a left back or left wing back. In in this um, obviously in his career, and he is in the top three of of left backs on this list. So it speaks volumes. Yeah. And since when we've had Mergin Voivodo and Valentino Lazzaro, right footed players 
playing left as our first choice left back. Yeah. And then honourable mention for a player who's never played for Toro, but Vanyati has signed to be our future left back is Kevin Havali, who's I think an Albanian, uh, who was tearing it up at Rimini. I'd say tearing it up very loosely, and now can't get a game at Ascoli. So, in the Cairo era, we've had so, a few kind of steady left, like your Balestries, your Parisis, your Lanners, when we've been like Serie B or low end Serie A. But basically, our best left backs have been right footed players Damian, Ansaldi, um, Molinaro, probably the only out and out left back who's been some kind of it. I mean, he was a qualified success in some ways, but he just had massive limitations. Um, I'll ask you the difficult question. Why in 20 years, effectively, oh, have we been so unable to, to sign a decent left-sided player? Because they cost money. Well, but so do right-sided players in central midfield. I, but, but I think but, but, but the, for, a le- for a left-back, obviously... I think it's a little bit more crucial for them to be left-footed to provide that balance. Obviously, I know Anish Postacoglu and Pep Guardiola are making inverted um, fullbacks popular, but I think for, especially now where we play the formation that we play, uh, having a left-footed left-back so crucial, obviously the majority of people are, are right-footed, right? Um, so you're already sort of searching in a, in a smaller pool of players, which then allows a... Uh, for left-footed um, players to to maybe cost a premium, so it it might be that, like that the fact that we've had we've had right backs who've done a good job at, at, at left back. I think Ansaldi is the anomaly because he was equally uh, adept with either foot. Um, but yeah, I think Torino are not a team who are going to spend money any more money than is really necessary and. We we've been calling out that left backs have been a problem for for a number of years, but it only seems to be in this transfer window that that Vanetti, Cairo, and, and Juric have sort of noticed that issue as well. Yeah, it's um, it will be interesting to see if they solve it. And I, yeah, it's whether there's fewer left backs out there. I mean, there were seasons where we've played with like a flat back four, and we've had wits from, I guess you know. The, period where we had Brecolo and, and and people like that out there so it was less crucial to have someone who could fly over but yeah it's 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 pretty poor I mean in 20 years apart from Bareka not a single one has come through the Primavera as well so we've not we've not solved it by looking internally at the issue and, and creating our own so uh, let's see if we come back in a week in a week's time it's pretty much the end of the window and it's, yeah are we are we gonna have the 20 year I mean, we talk about the Cairo era, but I can't remember the last, you know, it wasn't like we had loads of great left backs, you know, post Copper Italia success in 93. I mean, Robert Yarny. Juric likes Croatians and bring Robert Yarny back. But um, anyway, Rob, before we get on to uh, talking all things Amsterdam, uh, it's Toropedia for you, which I almost accidentally sent you. Um, Oh, um, that would have been a disaster. Is it Francesco Gogo? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. I'm uh, I'm going to be a bit mean and not give you the years. Okay. Um, but you'll get the rest of the data. Okay. Reggiana, two appearances, no goals. Verona, no appearances, no goals. Livorno, on loan from Verona, 11 appearances, one goals. Triestina, on loan, 
25 appearances, five goals. Back to Verona, 19 appearances, two goals. Then a move to Arezzo, 101 appearances, 42 goals. That captured the interest of Torino, where he made 45 appearances and scored seven goals. Uh, had a loan at Lecce, 37 appearances, 11 goals. Back to Torino, 11 appearances, one goal. On loan to Chievo, 15 appearances, two goals. Left Torino permanently for Vicenza, 78 appearances, 32 goals. Where he then went on to Pescara, 25-2. Cremonese, 10-3. Ferrell Pisolo, 15-4. Fiorena Zola, 3-0. And and then Via Emilia, 0-0. What was his own Rezzo stats? Sorry, uh, Pete. 101 and 42. How are you feeling? I'm not to guess. All right. But I'm not I'm not 100% confident. Um well let's do you let's I think people have had a bit of time. Um uh, so if you're comfortable giving your guess now, let's do it. Is it Elvis Abriscato? It is Elvis Abruscato. Well done. I was going to do an impression, I was do an impression there, but I, I won't go for it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Des- desperately finding um, <laughs> some 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 um, some Elvis puns there. But yeah, uh, he was a player who came in, um, I think he came in in Cairo's first season in January to add some... Um, he'd scored loads of goals for Arezzo in Serie B, especially towards the end of his time there. We brought him in as firepower to get us promoted. He he did score a crucial goal in the playoff final first leg, but he just it never really happened for him at Torino. And every time he went somewhere else around on loan, he'd do quite well. Um, but yeah, just... Yeah, he wasn't... He wasn't a Torino centre-forward in the same way that someone like Muzzi or... Even I'd say Stallone were, were as well. He was. Um, he felt like Abuscata didn't. Yeah. Um, was 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 a player who didn't appreciate kind of the more physical defending. I'll call it. But yeah, well done, Rob. You, uh, thank, yeah, thank uh, you. I, I'll be honest. It took me a very very long time to actually. I, I could. I knew who it was, but I just couldn't think of his name. And all I could think of because of the Arezzo league was Antonio Flora Flores, and there was that when he never played for Toro. I think he may have had a very he may have had a very good partnership at Red yeah. All right, we will uh talk all things Amsterdam after this little interlude where you're gonna hear Torres second goal in the very famous semi final of that UEFA Cup run against a certain Real Madrid. Trentonesimo minuto del secondo tempo. Lentini parte e punta roccia, lo supera. Mette al centro una palla per Fusi che sopraggiunge dalla parte opposta dell'area. Hello and welcome back to episode 68 of the Talking Toro podcast. Uh, you would have just heard the audio from a very famous goal in Toro's more recent history uh, with Luca Fusi scoring uh, what turned out to be the winning goal uh, in the UEFA Cup semi-final against Real Madrid. Um, we're going to go back in time a little bit, so we will sort of sort of discuss that match uh, in a little bit more detail but yeah so let's let's pretend we're back in 1991 peter uh i'm i'm two years old 
um, uh, when Torino first <laughs> played their first my, round match in the UEFA Cup. My, my voice is just broken. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was just trying, I was trying to find some dates. Yeah, exactly. Funny enough, actually, uh, let me just double check that because might actually uh, just check exactly what date the first round game was. Yeah, the nineteenth of September, nineteen ninety one. Was the first leg as we travelled to Iceland? So yeah, it was literally three days after my second birthday. Uh, do remember the game well? It was a uh, yeah, great, a great game. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so we travelled to Iceland, and again, I think, but you you'll maybe be able to add a little bit more colour into it in terms of the the game in general for from the recent book that you've read. But I think a probably more wider sort of generalisation in, in terms of football at this point is that. European games in the sort of mid nineties were still sort of the scouting probably wasn't as sort of at the level that it is now where probably you can imagine Torino turning up in Iceland absolutely having no idea what to expect, not really knowing there was no internet, there was no sort of scouting footage, they no didn't really know anything really about the, the opposition that they were going to be facing in KR Reykjavik and um yeah, they 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 sort of walk away with a two 0 win. Um, anything so that in the first leg and then obviously in the in the second leg get back into in um, obviously the, I think the, the quality between the two teams uh, counts as uh, as Torre wins 6-1 um, they did take the lead in NKR did uh, did equalise but yeah Torre then, then scoring uh, a further five goals for an 8-1 aggregate victory um, just, just actually just something that I've noticed actually below uh, below on this page and just maybe highlighting how difficult some of the, the European trips would have been back in back in those days. Liverpool lost to uh, a Finnish team called Kayusi Alati. Um, so yeah, I imagine that would have been a rotated team after after winning the first leg five one. But yeah, maybe paints that whilst on paper maybe it looks like an easy start. It potentially could have been a banana skin. Yeah, I think it's a few things to say. Taro had uh, been back in Serie A season and finished fifth. And qualify for UEFA Cup. UEFA Cup was is today's Europa League, but UEFA Cup then was a hell of a lot stronger than it is now in, in many senses, um, because you only had one one team in the European Cup, um, and then one team would be siphoned off to the Cup Winners Cup. But the, the Cup Winners could be a very could be a very random team that's won the Cup. Often teams that hadn't qualified for Europe. So this was a strong. Um, Strong UEFA Cup, and the, the thing I'll say, I mean, look at the journey: Iceland, Portugal, Greece, Denmark, Madrid, and then uh, Spain, and then Amsterdam. It's a pretty, it's a pretty sexy run to the, you know, in terms of European tours go. It is, you know, it's pretty. If you'd been to all of those matches, you'd had a pretty interesting time. It was, it's a good draw. Uh, Reykjavik, yeah, a few things I'll say: the centre halves were. An architectural student and the police officer, uh, very part time. It was very FA Cup first round, um, in some senses. Couple of little anecdotes. Uh, president of Torino, Borsano, uh, the man who basically funded this kind of reemergence of Toro in the early nineties, and then it's largely responsible for its collapse. He arrived to Reykjavik on a flight from which city? Amsterdam. <laughs> so, um, so it's an Amsterdam link. And then the referee was from Northern Ireland and British officials have quite a, yeah, penetrated this uh, UEFA Cup run um, quite significantly. 
And then the only other thing I'll say about Reykjavik is if you get to watch the goals from the second leg, the Reykjavik keeper, he doesn't even bother diving for most of them. There's one where Martin Vasquez crosses to the near post. But- Worst goals of it, I think I've seen. And then she, I think Shifo scores two absolute kind of thunder bastards, but they basically go straight through the goalkeeper. One, um, one of Shifo, Shifo's first goal is, is beautiful because it hits, it hits the bar, which always makes goals look better. I'm going to have an issue with you um, calling Vasquez's um, goal across, though, because reminded me of a, a, a very similar goal scored by Ivan Illich, which you claimed that he meant. So I assume Illich that Vasquez right. meant this one. Let's chip the keeper at the back post, whereas this came, this trickled at the near post. From Vasquez had obviously seen that the, the goalkeeper, I don't know what his occupation was, but maybe goalkeeper wasn't, wasn't yeah. uh, something that he, he was qualified to be doing. All right, so move, move on to the next match. Yeah, so obviously um, we, we, we go past uh, uh, Kaya Reykjavik, and then in the next round we travel to Portugal to play uh, Boa Vista. Um, so yeah, again, I think you'd probably say that the the quality has increased quite drastically um, there. Obviously, both is the, the maybe not the predominant team from Porto, but um, yeah, I've just noticed. Yeah, in the first leg, uh, another English, uh, well, a British referee in, in Keith Hackett uh, as a Torrey win at two 0 um, And yeah, any any anecdotes that you may have dug up but- from this game, Peter? There's one big anecdote is that um Boavista had a striker called Marlon Brandau, not not the <laughs> not the great actor of Godfather and Apocalypse. Thank you, now, thanks, thank you very uh, much for providing uh, that clarity, Peter. <laughs> um but he was involved in a horror clash with Luke uh, accidental with Luca Marcagiani and he had a cardiac arrest on the pitch. He was knocked out. Um he was uh resuscitated and went to hospital and was fine. Um and Toro won the match 2-0, but there was a quite a lot of bad feeling. The Portuguese uh, criticised Keith Hackett for his officiating of the game and also called um, the Deli Alpi pitch a potato field. So Toro went to Portugal with a 2-0 lead, but the it was an absolute inferno in Boa Vista in the second leg. Uh, there was a banner which um, said, basically, Marcajani assassin, Mario was left for dead kind of thing. Um and apparently it was the Marco Gianni had an absolutely brilliant game, handled it with real dignity and uh, didn't kind of react to any of the abuse he got. And then, uh, yeah, there's a lot of interviews in a book I've recently read, uh, Toro di Amsterdam, which is where I've, I've basically lifted a lot of his anecdotes. And then some of them, some of them later on are from memory. But um, yeah, a lot of them say that's the, that was the night Luca Marco Gianni became a, the keeper that would become the, the world's most expensive. Um, it, have you seen any any footage of the incident at all? Is it, it was it with sort of the Boavista fans sort of complaints justified, or or was it uh, just an innocuous I, clash? I I haven't seen it to be honest. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, everyone, every all the interviews I read said it was said it was an accidental clash. Um, but yeah, obviously quite 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 a brutal clash. Um, nevertheless. Um, and the other thing was to mention was Enrico Anoni, who not renowned for his goal scoring, scored in the first mm-hmm. two matches. His goal at home to Boavista, mate, you, you would have been able to score it. it was, uh, he, he, just, he just celebrated as if he's won the uh, <laughs> he's won the Champions League final or the World Cup. <laughs> but yeah, got, got a little tired then. Um, 
so yeah, so we, we so this is obviously only the second the second round uh, of the UEFA Cup, and then it, it jumps straight to uh, the last sixteen. So effectively, the last thirty-two uh, against Bovista, uh, and yeah, we start we we travel to uh, AEK Athens in the first leg. Um, so yeah, again, potentially maybe a bit of a favourable. Uh, way that the draw comes out, play, having the, the first leg away from home first, and, and then knowing that we we could bring them back to Turin in the in the second leg. Uh, it's two two in Greece, and then Toro uh, win the game one uh, 0 thanks to a goal from Walter Casagrande in the second leg to progress to the quarterfinals. Yeah, I think at this stage, big Walter. He was not a scorer of loads of goals, but a scorer of important goals. Um. Yeah, he said he scored a pretty decent header in the in the first game as well. Uh, you know the area AEK Athens play in Amsterdam is called, and uh, in Athens is called, don't you? Philadelphia. Yeah, so we're in the Philadelphia area. <laughs> Apparently, Toro had been there four or five years earlier and played Panathinaikos, and had been pretty ugly fan clashes. So I think some of the off the pitch stuff was not that pleasant. And going into there's one thing to say about Toro this season. Uh, we would finish third which would have qualified us in today's money for the Champions League at the end of that season, which had the Champions League existed and the money of the Champions League been there, Toro may have not gone the way they went. But also Toro only conceded 20 goals in 34 Serie A games. Uh, so pretty mean defence. But we went into the a second leg against uh, AEK having not scored in 607 minutes in the league. Um, so yeah, it was a... We, been for a bit of a sticky spell, uh, spell sorry. Um, but that, yeah, that got us through to the quarterfinals, which were about four months after they weren't until March. And I'll let you pick up on the opponents. Yeah, so um, this is actually something which I'd, I didn't realise until relatively recently. Um, and yeah, I'm sure some people might be able to pick up, uh, pick up on this as well. But obviously, uh, Copenhagen, the, the team that we... We know and and I was going to say love, but I've got no particular affinity to them. Um, they only sort of were founded, I believe, after this cup run. So this this team, which I suppose we potentially um, describe it and and call Copenhagen, uh, is actually Bold Club in 1903, and then they merge with another club to make Copenhagen, I believe, in the in the summer of 92. Um, so yeah, a bit of a. Um, Bit of a strange sort of quirk, quirk there, but yeah, I'm going to refer to them as Copenhagen. Um, so yeah, we we travel to Copenhagen and, and win it in the first leg, two nil. Uh, Casa Grande again on the score sheet, uh, and then yeah, just a one nil victory in uh, uh, I think two weeks later uh, back in Turin, and again, again we've managed to sort of complete our sort of uh, only a Welsh official I think is missing uh, in the in the British. Uh, referees of this tour because um yeah Andrew Waddell of Scotland was the referee. Um and yeah and then and then Toro were in a European semi final. Yeah it was a lucky draw in some senses but uh Copenhagen had beaten by Munich six two uh completely obviously a massive shock they'd also beaten Aberdeen and Trabzonspor. Um so yeah, and another another world Toro might have played Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals. Um, the pitch and the weather conditions in Denmark pretty brutal, but Toro got the job done there. Pretty uh, violent 
Roberto Policano free kick as well in the first leg and violent Roberto Policano will come up twice in the semi-final and final because he was a uh, yeah he was someone you wanted on your side and then yeah a very uh, if you check it out a pretty uh, funny own goal in the second leg as well Uh, I had to watch it a few times to I thought Casagrande must have scored but yeah then you realise the defender pokes it past the goalkeeper Um, quite funny but yeah that did did set Tara up for um, the big one big semi-final yeah so obviously Two Italian teams in the semi-finals, Genoa and Torino, who are kept apart uh, with Real Madrid facing Toro and Ajax playing Genoa. Um, so first leg in Spain, Toro take the lead through through Big House, Walter Casagrande. Um, but yeah, not many not many Toro uh, games probably turned around quite as quite as quickly with um Hadji um equalizing just two minutes later and then Hierro scoring uh four minutes after that. So in the space of six minutes they've gone from being one up to two one behind. Uh I can imagine the at that point I think the the way goals rule is still still in sort of uh operation I believe. Um yeah. so yeah that that having getting having got that crucial away goal I think they probably would have been uh, happy to get out of uh, of Madrid just with a, with a two one defeat, and yeah, and uh, effectively, obviously, I, I described uh, Fuzzi's winner, uh, Fuzzi's goal that that you heard the audio for as the winning goal. Had he not scored, Torres still would have would have progressed anyway on on the away goals rule, but um, that sort of maybe cemented it, and and yeah, meant that a, a Real Madrid goal would have taken the game to extra time rather than uh, putting them put them through uh, the tie straight away. So. Um, yeah, Torino beating Real Madrid three two aggregate. If only, if only we could have something like that uh, in the well, <laughs> in more recent times, Peter. Taking the first leg first, uh, I think a two one defeat's perfect result in some ways because you go back to home. No, you got your away goal, which was massive currency back at the, in, at the time. Um, and you know what you've got to do. You've got to be positive. You've got to win the match. If you've drawn it. You start playing calculations. If you've lost, um, if you lost without, um, or even if you won the first leg, then it's it's yours to lose, which is a different situation. But yeah, talking about the first leg, uh, Toro's coach was uh, pelted with bottles from Real Madrid fans singing Juve Juve. Um, didn't start very well. Um, the police, Spanish police, was pretty brutal handling of the Toro fans as well. Um, so that created quite a lot of tension going into the second leg. Um, there was a sensation that Real Madrid, surprise, surprise, were quite arrogant after the first leg. Um, kept saying they should have won more. The game was won, that kind of thing. Uh, Toro took the lead. He said, it's that, while talking about that goal against Reykjavik, I mean, the Real Madrid keeper, Francisco Boyer, does not do himself any favours. Policano whips in across. Um, to the near post, I think it in it would have counted as a goal with goal line technology. I think it's crossed the line. Um, he spills it, and Casagrande scores from a few yards. And that's a bit of a yeah. that's, a, that's sort of a bit of a, a repeated pattern in in this in this cup room. A lot of Casagrande's goals are almost the sister <laughs> is is the goalkeeper. Well, Torino had players who could actually hit the ball from outside the box <laughs> then, which helped which helped as well. But yeah, that got Real Madrid kind of angry. Hadji and Hierro score. Hadji then. Uh, puts in a horror tackle on Cravero, rules him out the match. 
And then Policarno does what Policarno does, smashes Hadji and gets sent off. Um, so Policarno misses the, the second leg. We get to the second leg. Uh, Real Madrid only brings 300 fans uh, and they have to be put near the media tribune. So, yeah, basically uh, the, the feeling was they bottled it a little bit after what happened in the first leg. Um, imagine, I pen, think... Pen right intended there, Peter. But, <laughs> yeah, I think Torino... I think this is the greatest night in Torino's history, beating Real Madrid 2-0. And just imagine this, it came five days after winning the Turin Derby 2-0 as well. Um, so, yeah, probably the best week in, in, in Toro's history. You know, you don't have a trophy to show for it, but I just think, yeah. Uh, over 60,000 in the Deli Alpi. There was this massive um, Forza Ragazzi banner. It's quite iconic. And then there was a banner which says... Um, Superga vi guarda. Superga is basically watching you. Um, so very emotive um, atmosphere. And I don't know. I've watched this match a few times. And Toro absolutely brilliant. Like high press, completely dominated the game. Uh, Lentini was just silky. Um, absolutely, kind of played them off the pitch. He uh, uh, creates an own goal very early on, and then. Late in the second half, uh, dances through their defence, puts in Fuzi and uh, Fuzi, who was a defensive midfielder, uh, not known for his goal scoring, but yes, slots one in from from kind of the edge of the edge of uh, the six yard, or just outside the six yard box uh, on the other side. Um, yeah, just a an excellent, excellent win. And um, yeah, I mean, Real Madrid have a funny relationship with. For me, Real Madrid have always been a useful agent against Juventus. They've been pretty good over the years at knocking Juventus out of competitions. But uh, it is nice for Toro in that one meeting with Real Madrid to say we've we knocked them out of Europe. And probably just a um, just in terms of a bit of context of the sort of quality of this Real Madrid team. Obviously, like you you explained, this is the UEFA Cup. It wasn't the the European Cup, but in in 1991. So the season to qualify for the UEFA Cup, they missed out on the title to Barcelona by a point, and they missed out in the 1992 La Liga title by a point again to Barcelona. So this was a very good Real Madrid team. It's not like it, obviously, Real Madrid got a glorious uh, Spanish history and European football history, but sometimes a great, like, to use an example, and sorry to to put them in, but Southampton have beaten into into in a in a UEFA Cup Europa League tie when Inter were absolutely dreadful. Um, this was still quite a strong Real Madrid. They were still quite strong domestically, and yeah, they were uh, would have been undoubtedly underdogs going into into that game. Yeah, and, and that Barcelona team won the ninety two European Cup the same season. Toro yeah. were playing Real Madrid. I mean, it was a Real Madrid that went through a long era without winning a European Cup. Um, but yeah, they had lots, of, lots, and lots of good players. After the the one player who came out quite well, apparently, was Butragueno, who was there like. I guess emblematic player at the time who hands up after the second leg was the one Real Madrid representative who said Torino absolutely deserved to win. They completely um they completely overwhelmed us. I think it was just one of those nights where everything came together for, for Toro. And I think Real Madrid probably lost the match when they're walking out the tunnel for the start. Um so we get to well, yeah, we'll get to the final, I guess, Rob. And um it's two legs, which finals aren't anymore. Yeah. And, um, and potentially- I'll, I'll let you set the scene. Yeah, potentially. I was, I was going to ask you a question, but maybe I'll, I'll save it to the end of, end of uh, <laughs> this uh, this sort of section. But yeah, so we, 
The first leg uh, takes place in Turin and uh, Ajax take an early lead. Uh, Toro then equalised through Casagrande. It was really his his tournament. He scored six goals in the, in the run for, for Toro. Um, despite, weirdly, don't think he scored. Did he score against Reykjavik? Um, so it's sort of later on does he sort of um, sort of capitalise and, and get some of the goals. Yes, he didn't score in the 6-1 win against Reykjavik. I'm not 100 sure if he played, but... Um, yeah, so he obviously, uh, I take the lead. I don't think it's scored against Boa Vista either. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, he really just comes yeah. into it in the, in the in the later stages. So I take the lead. Uh, Casagrande equalises, and then I take the lead from a penalty spot to penalty spot to make it two one, and Casagrande uh, to the rescue again to make it two two. So things are sort of quite evenly uh, matched going into the second leg, um, which is again two weeks later in Amsterdam. And yeah, I think this is a probably the one of the. If you say that the Real Madrid game is probably the the, the greatest night in in Toro's uh, footballing uh, history, then uh, I think in terms of on the field uh, activities, it's probably the the most unlucky night in in Toro's history. Uh, hitting the it's in the post three times, which I'm sure you'll get onto, but also the very very famous. Um, um, Mondonaco image of him sort of raising his his chair uh, above his head and and just the frustration that that they sort of had outplayed um, Ajax and only only bad luck was, was against them to to get the goal that they that from I've never I've never actually watched the game back um, I have watched I did watch the Real Madrid one but not the not the couldn't, couldn't bear the agony of watching Toro lose when I know that it's going to happen um, so yeah I think that that sort of that just they probably deserve to win it, and then not getting not getting what they deserved is probably sums up a little bit of, of Torrey's sort of tragic history. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack about this final one. Is just the context? Ajax had uh, the Ajax coach being at Leo Bernhacker had gone to Real Madrid that summer, so we'd beaten Bernhacker. He was replaced by Louis Van Gaal, who was an, an unknown at the time, uh, but that was the start of this great Ajax era of the um, mid-90s. I mean, the players, they, they they had a lot of players who'd go on to be part of that European Cup winning team they had, and also a lot of players who just went on to um, have very successful careers, whether it be Dennis Bergkamp and the De Boer brothers especially. Um, Toro, having read the... Having read the the recent book on Toro and interviews with pretty much all of the players, they and I'll, I'll credit the author Ricardo Bisti for the excellent book. But the feeling was, having beaten Real Madrid, that Ajax would be a lot easier. Ajax had only scraped past Genoa, who weren't as good as Toro, um, and been a bit fortunate to get past Genoa. Um, there was one key thing in the first leg: Fusi was suspended, um, and People felt all of the players, like these interviews were conducted independently of each other, just said he was just the balance in the team. Um, he allowed kind of Rivero to play a sweeper role, but then he was a platform for the more flair players to get on the ball and, and play. He's just a very crucial player. And um, yeah, Vim Yonk scores a 30 yard shot, which there's a lot of criticism Luca Marcajani on. Um, there's a feeling that Fuzzi had played that he, that was the position he would have been in to kind of snuff that out. And all of the players say that that goal just knocked the stuffing out of them. It took a long while 
until kind of mid second half Tara to get going. And then um yeah, there's a fairly careless penalty that Benedetti gives away. Frikes go two one up and then Casa Grande. Ben- Benedetti goes. was was Fusi's replacement as well, is that right? Yeah. Uh yeah, either Benedetti came, yeah, he would have uh, maybe I think Benedetti either came on or came in, yeah. I think he, he wasn't a normal starter. Um and the other thing to say, a couple of anecdotes, an English referee, uh, Joe Worrell. There's a very good oh, under the ball. Yeah, not the Nottingham Forest in the back. No, I might be calling him Joe Worrell. He was called what is only called Worrell. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he is Joe. Um, he there was a lot of talk in his wave cup run, which is addressed in his book about Toro and um, certain perceived or rumored uh, favors or to referees. Uh, the book itself doesn't think there's a lot of truth in in this but um and certainly looking at the matches Torino weren't particularly favoured by referees but there's a very good under the cash podcast with um I think it's Kevin Lynch who was the linesman um who talk who well divert you in that direction. But yeah there's kind of a lot of British officials in this run. Um and the other well let's remember Luciano Moji was the Torino sporting director in this era and uh, yeah a lot of the players say really good things about Moji and about um, Borsano the president as well Borsano apparently inquired about Bergkamp after this match um, and you do wonder if Torino had had Champions League money um, whether Bergkamp could have ended up at Toro um, 9 million people on Rye watched it which was um, yeah absolutely massive audience for the time and the, and the audience share that night for the match was was really high. Uh, we go to Amsterdam. First thing, if you watch the highlights, how crap is the stadium? Because the, the Delhi Alpi would have looked kind of, I mean, the Delhi Alpi would, didn't prove to be a great stadium, but it was kind of space age at the time. Yeah, Ajax were playing in the stadium built for the 1928 Olympics. It is, yeah, falling to bits. Um, it looks like at best, uh, yeah, I don't know, a League One or League Two ground from the mid-90s. Uh, 5,000 Toro fans there. I think 4,000 had tickets. Um, and yeah, as you say, it was just, yeah, the, the image of Mondongo came after a penalty was not given. To be fair, there were was a pretty um, strong penalty in Ajax not given. Um, Marco Gianni pulls down Aaron Dinter. And then there's a tackle late in the game where uh, Policarno, who's back from suspension, uh, basically goes in two-footed on the back. Of, I think uh, it was Pedersen, the striker, who scored the decisive, well, the, the penalty in the first leg. He basically goes to the back of him and rules Pedersen out of the Denmark 92 Euro squad that they would go on to win. Um, so, yeah, there was... I, it, Probably if Ajax had lost the game, there'd be a few things they, they would point to as well. But yeah, Toro hit the uh, post in the first half, Casa Grande, who in his interview said like, yeah, he made basically too good a contact with the ball and uh, it comes back off the post. Moosey hits one uh, with about 20 minutes to go, which hits the outside of the post. And then, yeah, it's, it saw those, basically his volley, his um, almost perfectly hit, uh, perfect technique for the volley. It's kind of coming over his shoulder. He turns back on his right foot and it hits the basically smacks the bar full on. And that's with a few minutes left. Uh, and then the other thing you 
find watching these old matches is how little injury time there was. So, you know, Sorda does at the 88th minute. It's there wasn't, you know, there was like one minute of injury time after that. Um, despite Policano's uh, brutal challenge. So, yeah, and then Torino leave Amsterdam with this kind of, um, there was this chant, Tornoremo, 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 Amsterdam. We'll, we'll return, we'll return, we'll return to Amsterdam. And we haven't returned to Amsterdam. Um, Borsano, uh, very quickly, his, yes, basically a series of kind of, um, yeah, his, his businesses start, started to go bankrupt. His kind of venture into politics, um, Initially, he was elected. He was elected. Uh, I mean, his desire was to to be a, I guess, key political figure. And there were elections going on at this time. Hence, it was very useful for him to have a successful football team. Uh, but Bosano, within a year, and Toro would go on to win the Coppa Italia the year after. Within a, within months, he was gone. Um, and yeah, he's he's still alive, incredibly today, Borsano. But um, but yeah, but there was a. Yeah, Toro did have some success for a few seasons, but very quickly a series of um series of quite not all bad presidents, but mostly bad presidents, uh, would end up being bankrupts and uh yeah, have a lot of years in Serie B. Um so yeah, I don't know if had had Torino won in Amsterdam, I don't know if the destiny would have been different in the sense that the the financial situation, the situation with Borsana was so chronic and the actual prize for there was no Champions League football. There was no... I don't think there would have been a massive financial incentive, especially because Torino had qualified for Europe the following season anyway. I think... Uh, I think probably Yeah, sorry to cut in there, but I think the probably important thing to be that I don't think anything could have got anything worse than what happened as the runners-up, but we would have had the memories and the the, the trophy and the silverware of being a European... A, well, winners of a European trophy. Yeah, I mean it's it's a massive regret in in that sense. We don't know how when Toro will next get to European final if or if we will. Um, and yeah, but people still talk about this team. You know, it's one of the great Torino teams, and they did have yeah, they did have a year later. You know, more or less uh, a pretty similar group of players would go on and win the Coppa Italia. Yeah, it's not 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 your way for cup success. Um, but I guess my question. Um, is let's say Tara had three or four years where we come up from Serie B, we finish fifth, we finish third, uh, we get to U- UEFA Cup final, um, which play it ten times, we might have won five times. Um, you know, it was, it was very tight against Ajax. Uh, we beat Real Madrid. We go on and win the Coppa Italia. Um, is it better to have had f- those five years and then the 15 years that followed, which were pretty bleak? Uh, where the whole future of the club was in the question, or have the or have the twenty years of Cairo and the tenth place. So is it is it better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all? I'll, I'll close it there, Rob. But I think it's quite Philip Phillips. People talk about Borsado and Mondonico, Tara, and some of those players are absolute cult figures. Um, and we did have a great team. We had some, you know, Lintini became the world's most expensive footballer. Marco Gianni, the world's most expensive goalkeeper. We had Martin Vasquez, but Casagrande was a you know Brazil international centre forward. Um, but yeah, it's I don't you know people won't be talking about many of Cairo's teams 
beyond maybe the you know the the, the Europa League run and under under Ventura is is a bit of a cult season, but yeah. So I, I've left you that question. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's difficult to. I think had I been following Toro in the nineties, then potentially my opinion would be different. But yeah, the way that we still talk about the the win in Bilbao, like that would just be magnified by a hundred. That been in a semi final to get us to a final and and Bilbao. No offense to them, being Real Madrid. So I think the 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 hope is that obviously maybe Toro will ever get back to to even anywhere near to a, a run like that. Um, but yeah, it's probably a, a, a good thing. What, was it worth it in the end, especially how close we, we came to, to bankruptcy from the, the legacy which which was left from that run as well? Um, yeah, I'm not so sure. But I, think if I, don't, think, it, I don't think I really yeah. answered your question there. No, I, mean, I don't think there is an answer to it. Because, and then the 15 years after, you know, after 1994 were, were, were pretty bleak. And um, yeah, and and who knows whether, yeah, who who knows whether Torino will ever will ever return to those heights. But um, but yeah, interesting, interesting to go back and be, be nostalgic for that period anyway. Um, just quickly, we've already previewed Cagliari, Rob. Um, I'll just throw it out there. We said we might do this. I, I went for a one-one draw. Uh, you went for a Toro win. Um. Are you feeling like changing your view based on uh, anything in the last week? I think, yeah, obviously the the sad passing of Gigi Riva may um, sort of change the atmosphere that this game is played in. Um, I think obviously Calgary do do manage to get quite a good atmosphere there anyway, but I, I think obviously that that sad news will will potentially change the atmosphere in the, in the stadium. It's yet to be seen whether that might be a positive or negative effect on, on the team itself. But um, I I still just abated my logic for for going for a Toro victory was the fact that I'm, I won't be able to watch the game and, and Toro have a great record when I don't watch. So I still I think I might just maybe reduce my 3-1 prediction to a 2-1 prediction. I just want to say, yeah, a few things. Gigi Riva, great man, great goal scorer, uh, great kind of symbol for people who don't always want to see teams in stripes win things in Italy. And uh, he turned down uh, Juventus and other teams on, on a number of occasions. So, yeah, great, great story, Cagliari winning Scudetto. Um, secondly, you could record the match like I am because I will be out and not watching it live and then you could go home and watch it. So. I, I don't have the willpower to be able to do that. However, I w- what I will do is I will record the game and if we win, I will rewatch it as live. Okay. Well, I went for 1-1 draw. I watched Callery get turned over by Frosinone last Sunday. They were terrible. I mean, really bad. Um, they've got Golden Eager playing for them. I didn't know he was still playing. Um, as you said, yeah, Belotti used to uh, to, to 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 like tearing past him. I don't think we're signing Belotti for Friday. Um, much to your disappointment. Who knows? Uh, been, we've been in this podcast for a while. Everything could have changed. And they've got Andrea Tankanga. You know the the the, the actual the, the tank up front. Um, yeah, he wasn't moving around too much and got hooked. Um, <laughs> so having, that, having, if... having watched, yeah, having watched Cagliari, I was more confident. But having seen Toro not 
not signing. I think it will be a bit of an occasion on Friday. It will obviously be a very special occasion. Um, and, and, and um, yeah, I think with it being a Friday night game as well, um, I think there'll be a, a very kind of unique atmosphere in there. So I think I'm just going to stick with my 1-1 prediction because if I go against it and it ends up being 1-1, I'm going to talk myself out of three points. So, um, the, I mean, you've talked already about the um, sort of non-fleet-footed uh, strikers that Toro might end up with uh, at the end of this transfer window. How how worried would you be if Patania doesn't does become a, a name mentioned towards the end of the window? My one worry is Milan Juric will show up because it's every day Milan Juric is he's going to Monza, he's going to Genoa. I, I saw him going somewhere else a few days ago. I mean, it's only a matter of time before Cairo and Vanetti think this this makes sense as the there's a patter backup. But no, uh, at least in the week's time, this all this transfer rubbish will be will be over with, and uh, we can um, we can talk about the left backs we didn't sign. So. On that note, um, yeah, it's we started in Amsterdam with Van Yatti flying there, presumably. Um, that's where he was heading, and we finished in Amsterdam. And one day, Rob, we will return to Amsterdam. Portadoro. Portadoro.